Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability people have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. Today we're talking to Michael Cornell, a fifth grade teacher in New York City who started practicing Buddhism at the beginning of his career as a teacher. He's always been passionate about education, and you'll hear why in a moment, but his journey so far as an educator has not been easy. Even if you discover your dream or purpose at a young age, on the path to pursuing it, you often have to grapple with your own self-doubt, many decisions, and sometimes very challenging and unexpected obstacles. Michael's story is a journey of exactly that. After struggling with anxiety and depression during graduate school, and then facing the realities of education in New York City, his journey became more and more challenging. But when he discovered Buddhism along the way, chanting helped him expand his own vision for education and develop the spirit to do his best at every task in front of him. After challenging many unexpected situations, he's back in school to get his principal license and move into educational administration. Here's Michael. So I grew up uh, in a town called Poughkeepsie, about two hours north of New York City. And I had a great childhood with you know both my parents and uh, two younger siblings. Uh, but in school, you know, I was just a kind of average student, nothing really remarkable, you know, didn't feel like I really excelled in anything. Um, I was a really shy uh, kid and uh, I was much smaller than everyone else. Uh, so that I think, uh, you know, really kind of, uh, I don't know, it really kind of uh, led to, you know, these feelings of maybe insecurity that I had, you know, growing up. Um, and, uh, and then really, you know, by the time I got to high school, I because I didn't felt like I really excelled at anything, you know, I was kind of deciding what to do. Um, and one thing I knew is that I always really liked um, working with kids, you know, and helping helping uh, younger students. Um, I, I remember when I was in middle school, uh, there was one student um, who had uh, Down syndrome and uh, many of the other students uh, not really understanding uh, her would kind of stay away and not engage with her. And I remember at times in like a, a phys ed class that I would kind of be the only person going to engage with her. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there were other times, I think, in high school where um, I, I ended up going to my old elementary school and working with some of the students that I had teachers that I previously had. And um, then one time I also had this opportunity to work at this, uh, uh, to volunteer really at this children's museum. And I think it was these kind of experiences that really solidified, you know, my uh, my kind of desire to go into uh, education specifically at the elementary level. Hmm. It, I mean, that's a pretty young age to already be interested in, in education. Do you like remember a, a day or like a moment where it sort of dawned on you like, oh, wow, teaching is fun or I'm going to try to work with kids. I mean, not your your average teenager doesn't necessarily think that. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't really have any um, specific time that I can recall personally. However, um, at this children's museum, uh, there's a another woman working there who was a teaching assistant at a local school. And um, she kind of noticed how I took to the kids and invited me to come visit 
her classroom and work with her children. And so, you know, I think the first time I did that, I had such a you know wonderful experience and really enjoyed myself. And then my mom came to pick me up from the school. And I don't remember this, but she says on that day that I told her I was going to become a special ed teacher, a special oh education teacher. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So that's sort of how you became interested in pursuing um, teaching. So just tell me sort of the, the path after that, because you you eventually went to college and grad school, right? And then somewhere along the way, you encountered Buddhism, which wasn't at all part of your life before that. So can you tell me that story? Yes. Yeah, so I went to college in uh, Western New York to study special education. And then after I graduated, I uh, moved to New York City uh, to go a little deeper uh, in uh, elementary education uh, with some, you know, very kind of specific focuses. And then really, um, you know, it was maybe years later after I finished graduate school, uh, kind of really going through some uh, intense personal struggle over those years that I was working at a school and um, encountered Buddhism. Mm. Hmm. Um, do you mind my asking what those struggles were as much as you're comfortable sharing, of course? Yes, of course. So I would say first in college, uh, I kind of felt like I was really kind of seeking or trying to find, you know, greater purpose, you know, within my own life. And um, so when I was in graduate school in New York City, um, I was actually in kind of a, a long distance relationship at the time. And I kind of really had this, uh, I guess, recent experience over the past years where, you know, whatever I felt like, um, whatever I felt like was the right thing to do, if I just continued on that path, then the good things would happen, you know, and that kind of proved true, at least when I was in college. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think in terms of this relationship, I felt like I was doing the right things, but I wasn't really getting the results I was seeking from the relationship. And mm -hmm. I think part of that had to do with the distance. So it eventually really uh, kind of ate at me. And it really had me kind of question myself in a way where, you know, I was kind of, you know, wondering, you know, what other things do I feel like I'm doing correctly, but may not be. And then I'm just unaware that later on, I'll, ha you know, experience this incredible dire consequence, like I've experienced at the time. So it really led to a lot of um, kind of paralysis and the insecurity in my decision making and just kind of total lack of confidence. And this kind of really affected my graduate school experience where I really um, kind of further distanced myself from my peers and really spent a lot of uh, time kind of battling with depression and anxiety, you know, only really able to get myself together just to get to class. So somehow I miraculously graduated and uh, managed to get a, a job um, in the field of education. Uh, but I still kind of, you know, battling these ideas, feeling like I went to this great school with this great dream. And kind of my first job out is like this assistant position in a tiny school, not really consistent with my own vision for education. And so it just kind of continued to um, exacerbate these kind of insecurities and feeling like, you know, all my dreams and goals have been lost. So, you know, this uh, kind of maybe long distance relationship really ended 
you know, really put me down this kind of rabbit hole of like despair and unnecessary suffering through my own lack of kind of perspective, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, at the end of that year, I was moving on to a kind of uh, more formal teaching position within the same school. And uh, the person that was going to be taking my previous position uh, happened to live close to me in my neighborhood. And so we met frequently over the summer in between the school year to kind of get caught up to speed. And, uh, you know, I must have really opened up or shared in a way uh, where this person um, told me about this this Buddhism and really uh, um, shared, you know, about this practice. Um, I don't really remember much of what she shared, to be quite honest, but I do remember, you know, where I was at the time. And I remember her really sharing uh, that uh, this kind of uh, Buddhism that we practice, you know, you know, in this organization uh, was kind of initially uh, conceived of by people who were educators. Mm. And so the idea of like Buddhism and education, you know, and the relationship between school and society and students' happiness was something that I was kind of already thinking and exploring and kind of found, kind of found deep resonance in what she shared. So from that moment, I became kind of really curious to, to see and really felt like, uh, you know, wow, there are other people already doing this, you know, uh, and I didn't have to maybe take on this whole challenge alone, you know. Mm. Wow. There's like, hearing you say all of that, there's like tiny little sparks of things that I want to follow up on that I feel like are, will be really interesting to to probe. Um, And I'm just thinking in what order to do that in. So you mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned that you sort of had this vision for education of your own that you had been thinking about, it seems, since you decided to pursue this career path. Um, And then you also mentioned this um, sort of the challenge of being confident about the decisions that we're making as being the right steps to take when you're moving towards something. And then you mentioned this sort of history of Buddhism and education. So I'm not going to make you do all of that in a row, but I'm, why don't we just, um, why don't we go back to kind of where your heart was in terms of the vision of education that you sort of, or like that had idealized or, or hoped to pursue when then instead you were faced sort of with the realities of being a first year teacher. <laughs> Can you just tell me a little bit more about that? Like what were you excited to do or what did you hope to do and how was it different than where you sort of ended up? So I think it's important to mention that um, I had a really incredible experience um, working at this uh, sleepaway camp each summer I was in college. Mm-hmm. And at this sleepaway camp, I was a counselor and the the campers were all um, were all uh, boys ages 9 to 12 from the city. And I think, um, you know, prior to that experience, um, you know, my upbringing was in kind of a, you know, suburban community, predominantly white, upper middle class. And the campers that I had were all from uh, New York City, uh, most most of them identifying as, you know, black, African-American, Latino, you know, uh, very different than, you know, what I experienced growing up. Um, uh, but at the same time, 
you know, because we were living together, we were eating together, we were doing all these activities together, you know, you just quickly realize that, you know, all people are people, you know, all human beings are human beings, you know, but if you tend to, if you identify in that way, you know, in our current society, you know, you kind of disproportionately, um, you know, have less access, you know, to opportunities or resources or, or even explicitly discriminated against. And so kind of, you know, you realize quickly that it's nothing really inherently um, wrong, if you will, about mm-hmm. a person or a group of people, but that these kind of systems have really been created in a way, you know, to privilege others and, you know, and, and oppress others, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, I say this to say that, you know, I, I at that time I decided I wanted to be a, a teacher that could really challenge these stereotypes and misconceptions and then create a system that really valued, you know, the humanity of, you know, of each person, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think from that standpoint, when I w- kind of pursued my graduate level education um, and, you know, develop my thinking more, you know, this was, I think, kind of the spirit uh, that really in, in kind of informed my thinking. And I think over time, it really kind of became, um, uh, developed, you know, but essentially, I think the goal has always really been to just develop a, you know, an inclusive system of education that really values the humanity of, you know, of each person and can really, um, you know, create an educational experience that it really allows them to maximize their potential, you know, consistent with what their identity is. Mm. Yeah, so just to play back what I'm hearing, and kind of put this in context so we can kind of zoom out for people listening. So at the same time that you're kind of going through this internal struggle of sort of first with the relationship and then sort of just anxiety and and depression in your personal life, you're also in, in a role where you can't quite make the difference that you want to yet. So I'm, I'm imagining there's a lot going on in your head and your heart, and then someone introduces you to Buddhism, and you're like, okay, I'm going to start chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. So at that time, how did chanting make you feel, or how did it sort of impact these things that you were experiencing in your daily life? Yes, that, that's a great question. I would definitely say the internal battle in my mind was very real, and uh, I think part of it kind of going back a little bit is, um, you know, is my, because this is my first experience formally as an employee, if you will, mm-hmm. in education, um, I didn't have the perspective to know what was the reality of education and what was a result of my lack of um, stability, if you will, based on my internal struggle. So mm-hmm. I couldn't, I was unable to separate which is, this is just how education is versus how incapable am I because I'm struggling through all of this. Mm-hmm. And so I really had a tough time figuring out how much of it was, this is the educational system that you just happen to be part of versus like your lack of ability to just be in education, you know? So, you know, that to say, when I first started chanting, um, I definitely, I definitely remember 
being it being shared with me that kind of if you chant you're really in rhythm with the universe and you're kind of really in rhythm with this kind of whole uh, entire entity you know mm. you know of life you know much larger than you and so if you really put yourself in that rhythm uh, then everything that comes from it is really aligned in the manner which it needs to be so that was really supportive for me because when I started chanting and really kind of uh, took faith in that, the anxiety that went around with um, decision making, you know, or my path started to really subside. And mm-hmm. I think when I had the anxiety, I was so paralyzed in my decision making that I was really unable to just advance in any way in my life in even just minor decisions. So by chanting, I was really able to take off this like incredible restriction, you know, in my own mind. And um, from there, I think I started to see, you know, progress, more progress in my life. Mm. That's actually such an interesting way to put it. I, I hadn't I hadn't thought of it that way of just but I think so many people will relate to that struggle of like, am I incapable or on the wrong life path versus this is hard and I should keep going and I can't tell the difference. Um, I mean, I think almost anyone, whatever path you choose, kind of has to struggle with that in some way. And of course, Buddhism encourages you never to give up. Um, But I'm curious, how did that translate into action? So you start chanting and it sounds like sort of this um, fear or worry starts lifting, if that's the way to put it. So what action did you take and then sort of what happened next career-wise or <laughs> were there any kind of big uh, steps forward or setbacks that you had to navigate through chanting? Yeah, I mean, it's a big, que- it's a big question. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what the explicit answer is in the moment. Um, I will say that, you know, with less anxiety in a way, you know, improves kind of decision making and quality of life. And, you know, I don't, I think no matter what, I'm, I'd never really lost kind of the purpose for why I was in the field to begin with. There were Mm -hmm. definitely times I wavered and wondered like, hey, you know, is this really for me? You know, even though I decided this is what I'm going to stake my life on, I still questioned many, many times, multiple times throughout a year, you know, like, am I, should I even be here? You know, should I even be doing this? And so I guess with, you know, Buddhism, you know, it's just this idea that I had so much potential, right? There's so much more I have. And I knew in my heart, you know, what I wanted to accomplish, what I envisioned. And I felt, you know, based on my experience in Buddhism, that practicing Buddhism would help me to realize the vision because I would be continuously developing myself and manifesting my own potential, you know? Mm. So I think I started to develop confidence in that in a way, you know, not to say it was kind of an overnight realization, but just, you know, gradual increments. And I think uh, kind of in that way, I just be able to take more daily action towards what I felt this vision was you know, and Mm -hmm. it kind of, it was an easy 
per se, I think. And I don't, I think you, it's kind of just like, uh, you know, you can't think it out how it's going to go. You know, it's kind of like, you kind of just have to keep going towards it and then figure out how what you're doing connects to it. And I think for me, there were definitely times where I, I had no idea what that connection was, you know, but I also remember, um, you know, in Buddhism, that there's this, uh, you know, guidance that shares like, you know, if you really want to open up the way, take care of what's right in front of you. So in those moments where I really had no idea, I just tried to take care of what was in front of me the best I could. Mm-hmm. And I think over time, you know, things definitely did open up, but I also did face like, you know, a host of obstacles, you know, just in terms of uh, really authoritative administration that we might didn't get along with, uh, administration that wanted to reassign me, you know, colleagues I was working with, you know, that had definitely had difficulty, um, you know, uh, getting along or kind of throwing you under the bus or just, you know, all those types of, all those types of things. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I I can only imagine we, we would need hours to actually unpack (laughs) all of those experiences. Um, So maybe I can ask, you shared when we spoke on the phone about sort of a, a pretty major struggle that you faced as a teacher a few years ago. Um, yeah, where you almost lost your license. Is that something you feel comfortable sharing about? Yes, sure. I'd be happy to share. So again, this is my fifth year in public school. Um, and it's actually my second public school in New York City. So the first three years I was at one school and uh, including this year and the previous year, I'm at a different school. And at that public school, the first one, uh, I experienced a lot of challenges. And um, But one major challenge uh, that I experienced uh, came towards the end of one of the years uh, where I just received a kind of phone call in my classroom while I was teaching and was asked to kind of, you know, report to so-and-so you know, his office. And, uh, you know, there I received this letter from the, you know, um, Department of Education, um, you know, which is which kind of asked me to, you know, report to another location. And kind of long story short, I found out uh, that I was kind of um, under these false accusations. Um, These false accusations were made, you know, towards me. And um, as a result, I had to be removed from uh, my classroom and kind of removed from the school and teaching uh, at the time. And so I spent quite some time in another, you know, location, you know, doing uh, educational related things still within the department. Uh, But I wasn't really able to be in a classroom or a school and teach. And um, I learned along the way uh, that my license uh, my teaching license uh, was almost revoked, you know, so this was kind of really uh, a devastating experience, really feeling like, you know, this was my purpose in life. And to be challenging so much from graduate school to the independent school to finally making it to public school, to then maybe start to feel like I'm getting the hang of it. And then, you know, something like this happened, you know, so it was, it was quite uh, devastating at the time. Um, 
and it took, you know, quite some time to be resolved. But eventually, you know, and I definitely attribute this to my Buddhist practice, it was, um, the case was dismissed and, you know, I was fully cleared and all the accusations were unfounded. Wow. Oh my goodness. That it's wild how, I mean, I'm just thinking again from the perspective of someone listening who might need some help connecting the dots between how that, how that is resolvable through one's Buddhist practice, because it's such a sort of, it sounds like a professional legal situation. And so far, um, we've discussed, you know, chanting as something that really helps you kind of be your best self. But to resolve something this big, it's kind of like difficult to understand. So all that to say, how, what do you mean by you attribute that to your Buddhist practice? And like, what did you do to navigate it? I can only imagine how, I don't know, shocked, angry, many other things you must have been feeling? Yes, that's a great question. So I would say, you know, in our Buddhist practice, we're kind of, uh, we kind of learn about the significance of obstacles and great challenges and our own development and kind of supporting um, our advancement towards fulfilling our mission. And so, you know, at that time, you know, having heard this before, I was kind of reminded and encouraged to really study deeper in that way. Um, so that really gave me tremendous actual uh, confidence, if you will, you know, feeling like I have this great vision for education. And now I have this incredibly daunting obstacle, you know, but Buddhism teaches that this is necessary for fulfilling what I want to fulfill. You know, so of course, I couldn't maybe uh, see it so clearly, but through Buddhism, I had the confidence that this all made sense and was aligned. So in that way, I didn't, the feelings of kind of maybe devastation or anxiety or worry were kind of, were kind of fleeting. You know, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't my um, underlying, you know, way of being at the time. You know, I actually felt pretty, pretty secure and uh, confident at the time. Um, and also, you know, we learn in kind of Buddhism, you know, especially how to really be in the workplace um, to really become someone who is trusted, you know, to really work harder than anyone else, you know, to really, um, you know, become absolutely indispensable and to really just take care of what's in front of you, mm. you know. So I, I was put in this position that I never really done as much before, but I just really determined that I was going to really um, support everyone that I was working with and really become indispensable, you know, taking care of the tasks that were requested of me, you know, as quickly and effectively as possible. Mm -hmm. And um, I think in that way, I was able to uh, gain a lot of trust. Uh, at the same time, you know, uh, before I was kind of, before it even kind of got to this point in my, in my school, you know, also through our Buddhist practice, we learned about the importance of um, building uh, strong bonds of, of friendship and trust with the people in our environment. And so even though I had a lot of challenges at that school, I was able to develop many close bonds with people that really supported me 
while I was there. Mm-hmm. And um, through one of these people, I was connected to an, another person uh, who I also really developed this bond with and who really kind of knew uh, my heart as a teacher and kind of knew the work I was doing and the impact I was having on my community and my students. Uh, so this person actually really became a really big uh, protective uh, force during this whole time. And it was this person that was really there, you know, when my license was about to get revoked to be like, hey, not this guy, you know, Hmm. or to really just make sure I was taking all the necessary actions to make sure, you know, the case would be uh, dismissed as it should. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes sense. And it's so encouraging hearing you say that because it's it seems like such a tremendous transformation from this kind of first year teacher who's like wondering if they're capable enough. And then a few years later, you basically get served what many people could have taken as a sign that this is not the path for me (laughs) and then just quit, you know, but instead you really were able to face it head on. I think it goes back to the idea of, you know, really being able to uh, unite, you know, and um, work with all people and really take care of kind of this, you know, task right in front of you. I think, I think the task right in front of you has, uh, is really incredible um, encouragement, if you will, for how Mm -hmm. to, how to go about work. And I think, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, when I went to my new school after the case was dismissed, I really determined uh, going to my new school to be able to really, you know, support the school and the administration, no matter what, you know, really doing uh, whatever they asked of me, you know, as uh, quickly and effectively as possible, and really just trying to take care of what's in front of me but at the same time, really just build these, um, you know, relationships with my students and, you know, their parents um, and the community. So, you know, I didn't necessarily, to be honest, you know, chant explicitly for these things, you know, when I was chanting. But really more, I think, you know, uh, kind of chanting to have the life force to be able to uh, do these things that I shared you know, Mm -hmm. and to really, um, I really also just, I think, was getting to a point in my career, where it's like, I needed to start to show a little bit more of what I can do as an educator, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, to really prove uh, to myself, because I felt like, yeah, I can have this vision, but if I can't actualize any of it, you know, what good do the words do that I say, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think I was just really, um, I just really felt like that was the time. It was kind of now or never. And uh, I didn't want to have any regrets, you know, or feel like, um, you know, I would become, you know, another person who maybe just couldn't work within the current system of education, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, that ties really well to what I wanted to ask about next. because, so, I mean, it, it sounds like you've really been able to use Buddhism to decide that this is your path and to, to not sort of be swayed by things that have come up internally or externally along the way. But let's talk a little bit about the actual work. Um, so you said that you've had this sort of vision um, 
you know, from these kind of early formative experiences for education. And then you also mentioned that um, Buddhism or this form of Buddhism, and the I mean, the idea for people listening, the idea of value creation in SJN Eastern Buddhism comes from an educational uh, philosophy, basically. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about, like, uh, what is your vision for education look like? And... Um, yeah, what's sort of your dream for the future? Like, what kind of things are you are you doing now just for people who, who don't really even know what happens in a classroom <laughs> to be able to envision, um, you know, what it is that you're working on or trying to work on? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> a very loaded question. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to try to challenge this in parts. Yeah. So uh, essentially, you know, value... Uh, creating education, which maybe we refer to as kind of soka education, um, I feel kind of describes this uh, real ability to create uh, value under any circumstance. Mm-hmm. And by creating value, we're kind of really just um, analyzing it to the extent that it kind of advances uh, kind of human growth and development. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's maybe value creative if it is supportive of human development and maybe it's the opposite if it doesn't in a way. So maybe it's a very kind of, I guess, broad criteria, if you will. Um, and in terms of its kind of, uh, you know, application, um, I guess I would say so this uh, this idea of value creation is then, you know, in this philosophy of soca education is kind of the criteria in which a happiness is developed, right? Mm-hmm. So essentially value, to create value is the way that we develop happiness and, and build happiness, you know, a foundation of happiness for our lives. So I really felt the kind of mission of a, you know, of a school, you know, in society is to really uh, develop students' ability to create value under any circumstance. And that way, you know, whether they're with us or not, you know, they have the ability to create meaningful and fulfilling lives, you know, that, you know, ultimately advance their own life. But, you know, I think maybe more importantly, also contribute uh, to society, you know, to the lives of others. So practically speaking, what does that look like in a public school classroom? Um, I think definitely depends on, you know, the particularities of the context you find yourself in. And the reality of public education at this time, especially in such a big system, you know, like New York City, is that there isn't always so much um, autonomy, you know, or flexibility in what you can do and what you can create, you know, in terms of the uh, connections with the students and the, you know, curriculum and ideas. Uh, so that that being said, then, you know, how, how do we how do we do this or where do you know, kind of where do we start? Mm-hmm. Um, I do, you know, recall that, um, you know, kind of the the founder of this philosophy, you know, Sunasubura Makaguchi, um, he kind of had, you know, uh, this approach where he kind of acknowledged the reality of the system um, and, you know, kind of made efforts to work within it, but also kind of kept his kind of eyes fixated on the you know vision in front of him. So in some sense, he had this kind of double vision and double kind of operating stance to engage with reality, but kind of try to move it forward. 
So I think that's where I kind of find myself in my current, you know, position as a as a fifth grade teacher. Uh, you know, what, you know, first and foremost, if I expect my students to be able to create value under any condition, then I need to be the model for that as well. Mm. You know, so actually, this kind of uh, case I went through, I feel like, is a tremendous source of pride now. You know, you know that being, you know, one of the reasons, but. Uh, you know, really feel like on a moment to moment basis, you know, with whatever student I'm interacting with, whatever I'm trying to teach, you know, whatever ways I'm trying to help them, you know, develop and, and work with others, you know, I'm kind of always asking myself, how can I, you know, create the utmost value here in this situation, you know, that really kind of develops their life, mm-hmm. you know, so I think in that way, it's kind of really, uh, uh, for me, kind of a moment to moment basis in terms of like how I can really do that. I would say, though, that it really does emphasize the relationship with the student, you know, mm-hmm. and building that type of relationship, you know, where where you uh, where the student really uh, feels valued and has a sense of belonging, you know, and really understands that you care about them more beyond their test scores or their academic abilities. So I think, you know, definitely that's something I strive to create kind of on a moment to moment basis. And then I think, uh, you know, additionally, um, you know, in this philosophy, you know, creating value is very much uh, um, manifested in in relation to others, right? So in, in that sense, dialogue or kind of, you know, having kind of deep discussion interaction is also really important from a sense of, you know, being a human being and what you experience. Um, so kind of real practical project, you know, I started this year in my classroom is we, we actually developed um, a, a relationship with uh, another group of students in another country. And um, we started really having, you know, kind of more human interactions and exchanges, just understanding the nature of each other's lives and, you know, experiences in our kind of local communities and in our families. And, uh, you know, that has kind of been really uh amazing to see, you know, the benefit or value uh, created in that experience. Mm. Is that something you've been doing through COVID too? Yeah, so actually, uh, all of pretty much all of my teaching experience at this new school post um, that case, if you will, is pretty much all remote COVID. Oh my we were gosh. only in school maybe for uh, six months from September to March until everything yeah. shut down. So everything's kind of been operating uh, in that way. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. I, I mean, I, it didn't even occur to me to ask about that. I don't know why, but <laughs> that's like a whole nother dimension to all of this. Yeah. Wow, well, thank you so much. I know that was a very big question, but I feel like you answered all of it. Um, and it really makes sense. I mean, hearing you say all of that just makes me feel or it makes me sort of remember why it's so important to have a lofty vision or a lofty goal. You know, it's almost like as you were talking, I was envisioning the difference between someone who's like walking, looking straight ahead versus walking, looking down at their shoes. And if you like can do that, then it's so much easier to, um, yeah, keep going. And at least that's how I view chanting. Like it keeps your eyes on the road, you know? <laughs> yes. But um, I, so I guess just, you know, just to, to wrap up my sort of final, um, 
final question is to bring it back to Buddhism. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, for anybody listening, whether they're an educator that feels um, like they're on a sort of steep path right now, or they're in a completely different field, but they might feel similarly. Um, what sort of like piece of advice would you give to someone who might be struggling with their chosen path and maybe struggling to reconcile like what they what they wish the system could be like or what they wish they had the guts to create with like the day-to-day challenges that they're actually faced with you know what I mean yes I think I understand so I would say I think it I think it keeps coming back to the same theme in a way where it's kind of uh we have to, you know, we can only do what's in front of us, you know, we have to kind of, I think we have to take kind of full responsibility for the task in front of us and to really um, apply ourselves to that task. And in that way, you know, the, uh, the mission becomes clearer and, you know, you know, what needs to happen uh, becomes clearer. Uh, but I think what I've also realized is by, you know, we don't really work in isolation, we work with others. So uh, by taking care of the task in front of you as quickly and effectively as possible, uh, you build uh, incredible trust, you know, mm-hmm. with the people that you work with, and you become uh, someone who uh, is relied upon. And so, you know, as a result, because you're trusted, and you're relied upon, uh, you're then also well liked. And these create the conditions uh, for opportunity. Hmm. And I would say now in my current school, um, I've been able to establish these types of conditions. And I feel like as a result, um, I've been given many opportunities to kind of advance education, you know, uh, within my school, but also, you know, uh, within New York City. And in some cases, you know, uh, beyond that. And it's not necessarily maybe the ideal vision I have for education. But I think based on Buddhism, I, I've come to understand that by building trust with people and uniting with others in this way, you know, you're able to kind of establish a network where uh, you can really work together and exchange ideas, you know, mm-hmm. and there will be a, come a time you know, I'm confident that I'll be, you know, in the place that I need to be and say what I need to say to help move it, you know, uh, you know, even farther, you know, in that direction. And so I think kind of, you know, Buddhism really helps to give you um, the sense of mission for your own life and the confidence uh, to pursue it, you know, amidst the many challenges or setbacks you know, or uh, difficulties you might encounter. Yeah, yeah, that's a really, it's amazing what a practical way that is. I love the way that you explain that. Like you really can create the conditions for your success one step at a time. Um, just just a quick follow-up to that is sort of what's your kind of end goal or what is your like your dream now that you are, you know, farther along in your career in terms of what you personally want to be able to create or contribute um you know i would i would say that you know i mean ultimately we want to create kind of an inclusive system of education you know that essentially 
uh, values the identity, you know, of each person, you know, each student uh, and their family, but also, you know, allows them to uh, become happy in the sense of living kind of meaningful and uh, fulfilling lives. And I think that, you know, kind of vision, you know, bigger vision is that, you know, if the school is kind of structured in a way that allows people to develop in this way, then when these people, you know, these students finish the formal schooling and enter society, you know, they're taking this philosophy and ability and it kind of, you know, in whatever field they find themselves in, really kind of contributing to kind of value creation on a, on a larger societal scale, right? So mm-hmm. essentially, in a way, you know, creating this society that's really rooted in, you know, uh, learning and, you know, self-improvement and understanding, but, you know, really not just based on selfish interests, but really thinking about the well-being and happiness of others. So essentially, I feel like, you know, education is the foundational component to create a society, uh, you know, based on human happiness and values the lives of all people. And so kind of therefore, you know, maybe going back to your previous question in terms of school setting, you know, if we want to create this type of educational environment that fosters, you know, mutual understanding, then, you know, uh, again, with all people, regardless of your, you know, uh, whatever your, you know, social identity may be, then we first have to be able to create understanding and unite with the people in our immediate environment, Mm -hmm. you know? So practically speaking as well, you know, all of our efforts to connect and build trust with our students, our parents, our administration, you know, the the community-based partnerships is all in the same realm of uh, creating that, or or realizing that, that vision. So, in a way, maybe uh, that vision seems kind of far out there, but it kind of requires each person in their own environment to do that on a daily basis. So in that way, I feel like I can still go to work every day, you know, fighting for this mission, but also taking care of, you know, what's expected of me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I I understand that you're sort of up for an award um, as well. So and you didn't mention that, but just to kind of give a sense of where you were and where you are now. Can you share a little bit about that if you're comfortable? Sure. So I essentially maybe uh, two years ago, two and a half years ago, you know, my my case was dismissed, you know, and then, uh, you know, almost having my license revoked. You know, went to this new school with this fresh determination. And essentially, it's been almost two years now. And in those two years, um, as a result of these efforts and, you know, my Buddhist practice, uh, a lot has transformed. Um, so a couple of things is that I was, you know, really given responsibility to participate on many um, New York City uh, committees and task forces, really kind of responsible for transitioning um, education to online learning. And I was also able to uh, kind of be entrusted to play a more critical role in, um, you know, my school in terms of getting on to online learning. And as a result, I've continued to play much more of an active role in that as well. Um, So all of all of this really kind of uh, leading to uh, this opportunity uh, this year 
um, where I was nominated by people in my community uh, for a New York City uh, teaching award. And um, as we're uh, having this conversation now, I'm currently uh, a finalist out of about uh, 11,000 uh, people that were recommended. And so oh, wow. I definitely uh, attribute that to um, my Buddhist practice and uh, you know, really feel that actually it has uh, less to do with my uh, teaching ability you know, or strategies. You know, I, in most cases, many teachers share uh, the same you know, best practices and instructional methods, but I really feel like it was my own determination to uh, do anything I could to support my school and their mission no matter what that allowed me to build so much um, uh, trust um, where people are happy and willing to uh, support me. Mm. Wow, yeah, that's incredible. When when will you hear finally? So supposedly uh, the chancellor just randomly shows up to your classroom Monday in June before the school year is over. Uh, but I don't know if that's going to be the case given, you know, the current right. pandemic. Uh, but supposedly, you know, I'll know by the the end of the school year. Oh my goodness. Wow. Congratulations. That is incredible. Michael's story reminded me that our environment doesn't need to dictate whether we feel we're on the right path or not. Rather, tapping into our bootability through chanting can help us create the conditions to advance towards our purpose, no matter what's happening around us. We'll explore more stories about career journeys that exemplify this in future episodes. In the meantime, as always, check out bootability.org for more great articles and content. And if you'd like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, just email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.